Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for October 20th, 2017. Uh, 10-game slate, and I, I know the first couple have gotten longer than we wanted, to, and we're going to try to speed it up a little bit, so see how that goes. The first game on the slate, we have the Detroit Pistons at the Washington Wizards. So, Matt, what is the Vegas information for this game? Uh, the line is minus 6.5 in favor of the Wizards, total at 210.5, and no real sharp action yet. Not really a lot of betting info on this game yet, but just based on the Wizards being favored, it's an advantage for them, but nothing else to report as of now. Yeah, so Tobias Harris went nuts in the Pistons' first game. He was super efficient. He ended up scoring, was it 27 points, only 18 shots of I mean, that's crazy efficiency. He's at 5,900 now. Uh, Wizards are, uh, they were a solid defensive team against Wings last year, so I'm fine with staying away from him in this game. I think Stanley Johnson makes a lot of sense from the Pistons. He's at 3,700. He put up a total stinker of a game in the opener in terms of he shot over 13 from the field, which I think is the second worst over game in the history of the league, at least in the history of the modern era. It was like Tim Hardaway, Junior had, or no, it's Tim Hardaway Senior had an 0 for 16 game, like 1991, and then we have Stanley Johnson at uh, 0 for 13. But here's the thing: he still played 40 minutes despite missing that many shots. So if he played 40 minutes in that game and couldn't get anything, it stands to reason that if he's going to hit a couple shots, he's still like the the playing time is very secure for him. I think at at the least he's going to be playing minutes in the low 30s. So at 3,700. I'm, I'm fine with Rashford. I think he's a really solid value play. And then always Andre Drummond makes some sense as a GPP play, but can't play him in cash games because of the foul trouble. We saw it uh, a little bit the other game. He finished with a decent fantasy game, except still got in foul trouble very early in the game and only ended up playing something like 10 minutes in the first half. From the wizard side of the game, I just think it's, again, a lot of really fair pricing. The Pistons are slow paced. This is a big down pace game for the Wizards. I think there's better guys to pay up for than John Wall and Bradley Beal, 9,800 and 7,100. So on the whole, uh, Wizards side of the game, not much to see. And then I like Stanley Johnson a bit from the Pistons side of the game. Could you uh, could you get behind Stanley Johnson, Matt, after the 0 for 13 game? Yeah, as someone who rostered Stanley Johnson during that game, I was encouraged and disappointed at the same time because the minutes were awesome and he had so many chances to do well. But like you said, he couldn't even hit a single shot. I'm probably a little bit concerned that his minutes could go down just because he played so poorly. So maybe I lean on him more as a GPP guy because he's not that safe for cash. But I'm, I'm not sure. I feel like getting 40 minutes when you shoot over 13 is a good sign and a bad sign. It's a good sign that you're still staying in the game despite shooting poorly. But maybe because it was all happening so quickly, it was during the game, he's not going to get benched while that's going on, and maybe after the coaching staff has a chance to think about it with the day off, they decide, okay, that's a terrible game. Maybe we'll cut the minutes a little bit. So I don't feel that safe about it, but he's definitely someone I have interest in. Well, with that said, Stan Van Gunn said at a press conference today that he hopes that Stanley Johnson shoots the ball more in the next game <laughs> and that he wants him to keep shooting. So I'm not really that concerned about it. Like I think, that, I, I think he's going to play a ton of minutes again tomorrow night. The... Next game on the slate, we have the Celtics, who have been the ultimate source of value the first couple games, playing the Philadelphia 76ers, uh, Joel Embiid. Looks like the minutes restriction doesn't really exist. Uh, was only expected to play 16 minutes in the opener, ended up playing 27 minutes. 
this is also a back-to-back situation. So I think it's probably safe to assume we see him at like the 27 or so minute range again today and then rest uh, rest for Saturday's game. So what is the Vegas info for this game, Matt? Okay, the betting line is actually flipped on this game already. The Celtics opened as one-point favorites, and we've known that Gordon Hayward's been out for a couple of days now. So I don't think that there's an adjustment for the injury. There's just an adjustment because of the betting. So the Celtics opened as one-point favorites. Now the Sixers are one-and-a-half-point favorites. So it's a two-and-a-half-point move, and the total has gone up from 216.5 to 217.5, even though most of the bets have been on the under. So I guess uh, it's a lot of what we were talking about before the last Celtics game against the Bucks, where we were surprised to see the total drop in Gordon Hayward's absence. And now it does look like we're seeing sharp money on the over. And just, uh, by the way, the over did hit in that in that previous game. So we were right there. And I think that Vegas is finally adjusting to the fact that the Celtics will be a higher scoring team, both offensively, well, I guess definitely on defense, they'll allow more points with Hayward out. So it's a boost for the Sixers for sure. And then I guess it's probably a boost for Kyrie Irving too with more usage, but the price adjustments for the other Celtics guys might make them harder to use. So I think that uh, Jalen Brown is still only a 5,500. I think he's a really solid play. And then the other thing, too, is just that even though some of these prices have gone up, like I was saying the other day, the, the Sixers were a top-five defensive team when Joel Embiid was on the floor last year. And then they were just really bad when he was off the court. They were a bottom-five defensive team. So since this is a game where we're going to be seeing a lot of Joel Embiid, it's not really a great matchup for, for Boston. Uh, I think that... I'll probably not want to use uh, Al Horford at 6,800, but Kyrie Irving at 8,600, I think he's fine. Jalen Brown at 5,500, I think is really solid. I'm, I'm a little surprised to see him priced below Jason Tatum because I just think that Brown's a better player at this point. He's been playing uh, more minutes on the whole than Tatum. Brown did get in a little bit of foul trouble last game, but I, I will expect him to play more minutes for the rest of the season. And I also just think he's better. So from the Sixers side of the game, Joel Embiid at 8,000, uh, maybe. I, I don't think it's a terrible play. I think he's usable in GPPs. He should be able to dominate on the rebounds uh, on the boards against Al Horford. But still, I mean, an 8,000 price is pretty steep for somebody who's only going to play 27 minutes. Uh, I mean, he's still one of the most ridiculous uh, fantasy point-per-minute producers. So it it's possible. So maybe a little bit of GPP exposure. Definitely too risky for cash games. And then, uh, let's see, Jared Bayless has been priced up a little bit. He didn't really play a ton of minutes in the opener, but had an okay game. Ben Simmons at 7,500, I think that's a solid play. Simmons looked really good in the opener. Uh, He had the ball in in his hands a lot. So even though Bayless starts at the point guard, and that's his position on DraftKings, the reality is that Ben Simmons is the point guard on this offense. The ball runs through him. It's just a point forward spot. So Bayless is a point guard who just plays off the ball, and the ball's in Simmons' hand. I think that he's the best play on the Sixers at 7,500. And then Covington at 5,700 I also think is a solid play. He was really involved in the offense in the first game. He always has a lot of uh, potential for steals. I think he ended up hitting six threes in that game. He's going to be shooting a lot of three-pointers. So Covington at 5,700, also somebody who's going to play 30-plus minutes. So I think he's a solid play. Yeah, it seems like Covington and Simmons would directly benefit from Hayward's absence in terms of matchups. So the Celtics are weaker defensively in a specific spot in their wing defense. And Simmons and Covington seem they can directly take advantage there. And then because Joel Embiid is so good defensively, 
you probably want to lean on the Celtics perimeter guys anyway, so it kind of just helps that the two value plays that seem obvious already are Kyrie Irving and Jalen Brown. So I think more reason to use those guys, more reason to stay away from Horford and probably Tatum also. But do you think it makes sense to use Covington and Simmons more because they'll get a boost from Hayward being out? Yeah, marginally. Um, it's hard to even consider it a, a boost at this point because like, we could just kind of look at the Celtics' uh, defensive numbers on the wings from last year because there's only been six minutes of of Gordon Hayward this year. So we're just looking at kind of a lot of the same. Well, they did have Jay Crowder last year and they don't have him either. So they might, it might be a big hole for the team now. Yeah, it's possible. I think Crowder was a little bit more size than Jalen Brown. Um, But I I think, I I think it's a good matchup. I like both those guys. So I'll agree with you. And the next game on the slate is Atlanta at Charlotte. Atlanta has such a weak roster, and I think something we saw reflect in that was, number one, uh, Rick Carlo said that he was game-planning around slowing down Mike Muscala in the first game. Muscala ended up playing 13 minutes. And Dennis Schroeder took a ridiculous, uh, was it 28, uh, 26 shots. He was, uh, he was fairly efficient. He had 13 of 26 shots, but that's a ton of usage for him. And even though I don't think that Schroeder's a particularly great player, I think he's okay. I mean, we could see him as a 9,000 salary player by the end of the year. So what is the uh, Vegas info for this game, Matt? Is there any sharp action? Uh, No sharp action yet. I do think the Hawks are going to be undervalued a decent amount in most of their games just because that happens a lot with bad teams. But the line is Hornets minus 6, total at 202.5. And I'm sure that Michael Kidd-Gilchrist's status will impact this. So as of now, we don't know if he's playing yet, right? Yeah, I'm going to assume that he's not playing. He's listed as questionable. Or actually, I think he might be listed as out, except a lot of times those team injury reports just don't get updated, so they're not really accurate. But he hasn't rejoined the team yet. He hasn't practiced with them. So I'll, I'll say that he probably isn't going to play from the Atlanta side of the game. I still, I mean, Dennis Schroeder at 7,600 I think makes sense just because of the amount of volume that he's getting that he's getting in that offense. I mean, just all those shots from the first game. And then from the Charlotte side of the game, uh, assuming that Michael Kidd-Gilchrist is out, I think it's a lot of air pricing, but Marvin Williams is down at 4400 That's pretty cheap for him. He should have to play pretty big minutes again. He played, let's see, played 27 minutes in the opener, so not even really as many as I thought it would be, but I think that I think he makes a little bit of sense. Not really an exciting play. Overall, I think, I think Schroeder is really the only guy to target and have decent exposure to in this game it's, it's expected to be a lot lower scoring the other games on the slate any other thoughts no i think it's a it's probably a stay away game for me too outside of schroeder and then if kid gilchrist is playing maybe he becomes a decent value guy he's priced at 4500 do you have interest there you think that could be a solid spot i know without him marvin williams and maybe someone like frank kaminsky or whoever seems like they're getting the minutes could make sense but if we have mkg in the lineup would you look there for what seems like a pretty cheap price for him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a fair price for him. That's just kind of where he's been the last few years. But I, I guess I guess there's some interest there. I mean, he does have a big role this year, assuming he, I assume he's going to have a bigger role once he gets back just because Nick Batum's out and they don't have a lot of depth on the wing. Uh, I'm, I think that Bacon will start in his place again if he isn't able to play. But, I, I mean, Bacon just doesn't really do a ton. I think that there isn't really enough upside there to play him in GPPs. And then... I don't think there's enough minute security to play him in cash games. Uh, but 
uh, Kid Gilchrist, I, I assume that he's going to be out. So I'll throw him one more I, name. Um, a guy I like from the other night, who I think makes sense as a GPP play all year. That's Dwayne Dedman. And I think he just fits the mold of a player who is only usable in GPPs, but you can kind of use him any night because he's heavily reliant on blocking shots and he gets in a ton of foul trouble. So on any given night, if he stays out of foul trouble, he could easily rack up a few blocks and hit way above value. But also on other nights, he gets in foul trouble and just is out of the game and does nothing. And blocks are pretty highly variant too. So you can't really use a guy in cash games because you're looking for block shots. But for GPPs, I feel like you can. So is Deadman someone that you generally target? I mean, it's hard to say because he's never had a role like this before. Okay. Uh, I used him a little bit last year on the Spurs when they had injuries. But I I think that there's better value plays for a cheap price. And then also just because of the expected pace of the game. Like, I don't love his matchup against Dwight Howard in this game. All right, fair enough. Yeah, that's that's all I have on this game, then. So next game is Cleveland-Milwaukee. This will be a really fun game to watch. Giannis going up against LeBron. Um, so I remember you saying that there was a little bit of sharp action on this game before we started the podcast. Yeah, we don't I, We don't see it yet. The Cavs open at minus one and a half. They're up to minus two, but that comes with an absurd degree of public betting. They're seeing 71% of the spread bets and 91% of the money line bets. And it's just a spot that generally always has sharp action where a really popular public team is on the road against an undervalued good team. The Cavs probably should not be favorites in this game. We've talked about this already on both podcasts before this, I think, how the Cavs just probably will not be that good without Isaiah Thomas. They may not even be that good with him. The roster construction that they have with Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade taking so many shots just doesn't really make a lot of sense. And then the Bucks are a really good team. Giannis is arguably the best player in the NBA. So it's just, it's it's a bad line, I think, and the Bucks probably have the advantage in this game. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about it before. The Cavs, I just don't think this Cavs team really makes a ton of sense from a chemistry standpoint. There's not enough perimeter shooting. Uh, Dwayne Wade and Derrick Rose both took more shots than Kevin Love. That's an issue because Kevin Love is much better than those guys. So, I mean, I would like to use Kevin Love in this matchup at 7,500. I think he does make some sense to GPP play. But it's just really risky because of how much usage Derrick Rose and Dwayne Wade are taking away from Love. It's a bad situation that I hope they get sorted out at some point in the season because it just really ruins what should be a fun team to watch. Uh, LeBron James, 10,500. He always makes uh, sense to roster. But something that you had said before the podcast, Matt, that I think I agree with is that the matchup against Giannis is not totally ideal. There are there are very few guys who can guard LeBron in the league. There are very few guys who can guard Giannis. And I, I think that they could each guard each other because they're both just huge, super athletic guys. So I, I think that they could limit each other's um, production a little bit. And then just in addition to that, because of the enormous games that they both had on opening nights, uh, I, think, I think that people will tend to gravitate towards them a little bit. And also something I think is a little ridiculous is that uh, LeBron was only 20% owned on a three-game slate on opening night. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being higher owned than that on a 10-game slate where he's a lesser play. Yeah, the public probably will just be reacting to LeBron's huge game. And then the same can be said for Giannis. So I have zero interest in either guy for tournaments, for GPPs. In cash, maybe. I guess I'm not sure yet. We'll see how many value plays there are and how many spots we can pay up at. But I have very little interest in either guy for tournaments for sure. Uh, the one guy that seems to make sense though, that looks kind of underpriced is Malcolm Brogdon. Do you have any interest there? 
Yeah, I think I think it's an okay spot for him. Uh, the big takeaway from the opening game against the Celtics is that he played 41 and a half minutes. So that is a ton of playing time. And then also, he's going to be matched up against Derrick Rose a lot. So that's a really plus matchup for him going up against weak Derrick Rose defense. So if we could expect Brogdon to play anywhere close to 40 minutes at only 5,000, that's a, that's a solid value spot for him. So he makes, he makes sense. And oddly, Malcolm Brogdon is my favorite play in this game with all of the with all the really good players going, uh, I think Malcolm Brogdon actually makes the most sense. Yeah, I agree. And I had mentioned Chris Middleton before we started, but your point was that Jay Crowder will probably be guarding him. I guess I like Middleton if Crowder's not guarding him, but assuming you're right, I'm off him too. So it probably is just Brogdon from these two sides. Yeah, and also I don't think this is going to be a really high-paced game. Uh, the Bucks played one of the slower paces in the league uh, last year, so I, I think that... Uh, I think that fading Giannis and LeBron makes sense in GPPs just because of ownership. And then I think they're both fine plays for cash. They're both pretty safe guys. Uh, next game on the slate is expected to be ridiculously high scoring. Portland at Indiana. And then uh, some injury news. Miles Turner, stiff neck at practice, listed as questionable. Don't really have a lot more information that at this point it just kind of seems like a 50-50 proposition whether he plays or not. So... What is the uh, Vegas info for this game, Matt? This game has by far the sharpest money going on in any game so far. The total opened at 219, and it's all the way up to 226. Seven points to the over the night before the game is happening. Just is It's almost unprecedented. This doesn't really happen ever. I think what we're seeing is that Vegas initially mispriced or just misjudged the the pace, we're going to do this again, the pace that the Pacers play at. And uh, we're going to have to have this weird wording because I think it is a storyline for Indiana that they probably will be playing faster this year without Paul George. So for a point of reference, the Nets and Pacers had a total, I think it was at 212 that moved up to 217 or maybe even 218 before the game. And that game finished with 271 points. So that that that's a cover to the over by 53 or more points, depending which line you're talking about. It's 59 points more than the opening line. That's not explainable just by the Nets being the fastest-paced team. You'd have to think that the Pacers are also playing at a higher tempo, and I think that there's pretty strong evidence to take away from that game that this Indiana team will play faster this year because of how fast that game was against the Nets. Uh, The possessions in that game were 117 each, roughly, for both sides. The Nets only averaged 105 possessions per game last year, so that game had a dramatically higher pace than even the Nets played at last year. And the Nets were the fastest team in the league. So this move to the over, I don't actually think it has anything to do with Miles Turner. I think it's just an adjustment that Indiana may be a really, really fast paced team this year, maybe even in the same category as the Nets. And obviously that's good for fantasy production because there could be a lot more possessions here. Yeah. Even with that said, I don't think that there's a ton of value in this game just because there are some more expensive prices uh, C.J. McCollum back for the Blazers after being suspended in the opening game. But still, we have Damian Lillard at 9,300, McCollum at 7,200. I think you could roster one or the other, but not necessarily both of them together in a game stack. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic at 7,000. If Miles Turner is going to be out, I think Nurkic makes a really solid play because then we're going to be we're going to be seeing a situation where the Pacers probably have to start Al Jefferson to match up against Nurkic. At this point in his career, Al Jefferson is not a good player. He was a good player like six years ago. Nurkic should just be able to destroy him. 
And then from the Pacer side of the game, I think Oladipo is a fine play. I think that Turner is a fine play if he's able to go. If Turner doesn't play, then I think we just see a usage boost go to Oladipo mostly. And then beyond that, uh, I guess Darren Collison to 5,800 makes a little bit of sense. Thaddeus Young, 5,800, I think it's a little bit too expensive. Uh, so no like real crazy values. Definitely, I think Oladipo, strong play of Turner, doesn't go. Uh, but other than that, not really any standalone individual plays. Uh, I think the game does make sense to stack, though, just because of how many points could be scored. Yeah, so for cash, I think Nurkic makes sense regardless of Turner's status because if Turner's playing, the game will have a higher tempo and that'll benefit Nurkic for more possessions. Also, it's just it's probably too cheap of a price for him. And then if Turner's out, it's a much better matchup for Nurkic. So even though the game could be slower with Al Jefferson in, it's just an easier matchup for him so he could benefit from that instead. And then Oladipo probably only makes sense for cash if Turner isn't playing, like you said. But as far as tournaments, I think this is a really good stack spot just because I think people might be missing the boat on how fast this game could be. And I'm not 100% sold on it, but I do feel inclined to go with the Vegas movement. Usually those guys are pretty smart. Um, so I would stack this game for sure in tournaments. And then you probably do have to pick between Lillard and McCollum. And after Lillard's monster opening night game, do you think it m makes more sense to use McCollum for tournament stacks? Or would you just make more than one combination and use both guys in different lineups. Yeah, I think you use both guys in different lineups, um, but I just I just wouldn't play them together because that, that's a really high price for both of them. And there's 10 games on the slate, so there's going to be a lot of different, you know, strong plays. And then it just there's a little bit of a negative correlation between Lillard and McCollum because so much of their production comes from scoring. And obviously if one of them scores, it takes away a shot from the other. So wouldn't play them together in a GPP, and that, that's really where I stand on it. Nurkic is my favorite play from the Portland side. All right, sounds good there. The uh, the next game on the slate is the uh, we have the Nets again, and just like how we like the Pacers on opening night, gonna like the Magic in this game playing against Brooklyn. Brooklyn uh, was one of the worst defensive teams last year. They played at the highest pace. Uh, we saw that obviously culminate in the first game, as we talked about before. And then we have Aaron Gordon with a sprained ankle is questionable to play. He played really well in the opener. I don't really know when he got hurt, but uh, that is his current injury status. And what is the Vegas info for this game, Matt? The Nets actually seem to be seeing some sharp money, even with Jeremy Lin getting hurt. They opened at minus one. They're now up to minus two. I think it's going to be rare that the Nets are favored in games this year. But they are favored in this one, and the total has gone up from 220 to 221. So a little bit of a move to the over. This is, yeah, like you said, going to be an incredibly fast-paced game and probably a lot of guys on both sides that make sense. And I think D'Angelo Russell, especially with Jeremy Lin out. Yeah, definitely. He's going to be getting more usage. Uh, Karis Levert is currently expected to start at shooting guard. Uh, I think Alan Crabb could get some more playing time. I wouldn't play Levert and Crabb together because I think it's going to kind of be one or the other that takes the majority of the shooting guard minutes. Uh, but to me, I think Levert is the guy. I think he's going to get the first crack. And I also just think that he's a better player with more upside than Crab. So Levert at 4,400, I think, makes a lot of sense. From the Orlando side of the game, Vucevic at 7,600 is a decent play. Uh, I think Evan Fournier at 5,400, that's a bit too cheap for him. And then if Aaron Gordon's out, I expect Jonathan Isaac to start a power forward in his place. 
Uh, Jonathan Isaac was one of the top picks in the draft this year. He's super athletic. He would play really well in an up-paced type game. And at 3,700, I think he would become my favorite value play on the slate if uh, if Gordon isn't able to go. Yeah, that makes sense. It's uh, I'm just thinking which game would provide for better stack opportunities, this game or that Portland-Indiana game. But I guess the answer could just be both, right? Like you don't you don't need to pick one or the other. But where would you lean if you had to choose which game you think will have higher ceiling for tournament upside? Orlando-Brooklyn, because there's more value there. Uh, the Jeremy Lin injury creates value on Levert and then bump in usage to Russell. And then on the Orlando side of the game, the potential injury to Gordon would create probably some extra opportunities for Vucevic. It would create the value on Jonathan Isaac. So not only would it be a game that has a lot of up pace and high scoring potential, but a game with just cheap prices for starters. All right. Sounds good. So I guess let's move on to the next one. So the, the next couple of games, I think we could just kind of glance over them real quick. We don't even need to really talk about them too much. We have Utah at Minnesota. I think that's mostly going to be a stay away for me, actually entirely a stay away. Um, I know a lot of people look at Ricky Rubio and say, oh, going back to Minnesota, revenge game. These were two of the uh, eight slowest-paced teams in the league. Uh, I think Minnesota was the eighth slowest-paced, and then Utah was the second or third slowest-paced team in the league. So you combine that together, just not a lot of possessions. Uh, low over under for this game. Uh, this is that game is the lowest over under on the slate, right, Matt? Yeah, that game has the lowest, and then the next game that I guess you're about to mention has the second lowest. Yeah, and the other thing too is not only Utah, Minnesota have a really low over under, um, except they have really expensive prices, and we kind of saw in the in Minnesota's opening game, kind of something I expected might happen. The shots and the usage was really spread around, and they just didn't look very good. They, uh, they got beat pretty handily by the Spurs without Kawhi Leonard. I, I just think it's going to take a long time for this team to really work out their chemistry. So that's an easy fade for me. Utah, I think a little bit too expensive for just the expected pace of this game. And then we have Sacramento-Dallas also. Dallas, that game was super high scoring in the first game. I think it's a little bit of a fluke. Sacramento was another team, one of the slowest-paced teams in the league. Dallas was the slowest-paced team. So given the over-unders of these games, I think both of them are a fade, and we could just move on to the next exciting game on the slate, which is the Warriors at the Pelicans. And there is some injury news here because uh, Draymond Green sprained his knee on opening night, and he's listed as doubtful for tomorrow. It looks like he's not going to play. Has there been any sharp action going on the Pelicans because of that, Matt? The line's actually gone up from minus 6.5 to minus 8 for the Warriors. I think that that's all public bias, though. So looking at the bet ticket and dollar breakdown from Sports Insights, 84% of the total bets are on the Warriors, but 42% of the dollars are on the Pelicans. So the money is a lot closer to even, even though a lot of bets have been placed on Golden State. And I think it's just public sentiment that the Warriors lost their first game, so they have to win their second game. And I agree with the public that the Warriors probably will win, but not to the degree that people think. I mean, this game should be close and... It also has a really high total, so the Pelicans should score well in this game. Do you think that that's a spot that makes a lot of sense, or are the prices probably too too high there? No, I, I wouldn't say it makes a lot of sense. I do think it makes some sense. Uh, so, I mean, right now, as of the time we're recording this, Draymond Green is listed as doubtful. The rumor is if he can't play, that Jordan Bell is going to start in his place. Bell looked really good at points in time in the opener. Uh, he was a second-round pick that the... Warriors bought from the Bulls, which already, if, if you're the Bulls, 
you just stay away if the Warriors want to buy one of your players. If the Warriors come out to you and say, hey, we want one of your draft picks, then I think your point of reference shouldn't be, oh, cool, you guys take him. It should be if the Warriors like this guy, then it seems like we have something good on our hands. Jordan Bell, only 3,800. If he starts, I think he's a really strong play. He's going to have to play a decent amount of minutes against the boogie Anthony Davis front court. The Warriors are going to need size. So I think Jordan Bell could get decent run in that game. Uh, Andre Iguodala, he's still listed as questionable, so we don't really know his status. But Draymond Green's out. That's a little bit more touches for Clay Thompson, for Stephen Curry, for Kevin Durant. So I think all of those guys are fine plays. The other thing also is with this game being on the road against a decent team, there's a little bit less chance of a blowout than there normally are in Warriors games. And then from the Pelican side of the ball, uh, Anthony Davis makes some sense. DeMarcus Cousins makes some sense. Uh, Drew Holiday at 6,100 is actually probably my favorite play on the Pelican side of the game. That's just too cheap of a price for Holiday. Uh, I know his production was hurt a little bit last year when they added Cousins. But either way, like 6,100 is just too cheap for a player who's as good as him in a matchup that's expected to be this up pace. He didn't do much in the first game. He only had 18 fantasy points, but he also only made 18% of the shots. So he was 2 of 11 from the field. I think that he makes sense as a bounce back play because I think the price is adjusted too much for his weak game in the opener. Yeah, that all makes sense. And I, I don't really have much else to add because there's a lot more to say about the betting information for the next game. So if that's all you got, I guess we can move on there. So the final game on the slate, uh, the Lakers and the Phoenix Suns. As we're recording this, the Lakers are playing right now, so don't really know what they're going to look like as a team. I know the the rumor was, at least for tonight, that they were going to really try to limit the minutes of Lonzo Ball. And then considering this is this, the first game of a – tonight's the first game of back-to-back, so tomorrow tail end of the back-to-back game on the road. Uh, fatigue could be a little bit of an issue for the Lakers, and then I would expect if they're going to limit – Ball's minutes in the first half of the back-to-back. They're going to limit his minutes in the second half of the back-to-back. But with that said, uh, also playing a really shitty Phoenix team that got absolutely murdered in their opening game. So two bad teams that play at a high pace, so there could be some uh, good fantasy potential here. So what was the Vegas info, Matt? This game has, if you were going to make a list of all the things that lead to sharp action, this game would probably check every box. So A lot of people are going to be behind the Lakers this year. They have a lot of exciting young prospects, but it is still early in the season. It's their first game as we're recording, so it may take some time for these younger players like Lonzo Ball and a bunch of guys who aren't rookies, but still younger players to sort of gel and start playing well together. And it is a second game of a back-to-back, like you said, so that'll hurt in terms of fatigue. It'll hurt probably in terms of minutes played too. And then the Suns look to be really undervalued because they just they looked as bad as you could possibly look in a basketball game against the Blazers. I think they were down over 50 points at one point. They ended up losing by 45 or so. And uh, the betting line for them has moved from minus 2.5 to 3. So even with all of that going the Lakers' way and with 89% of the bets on the Lakers, the line is still moving towards Phoenix. The issue, though, is that Earl Watson and the Suns rotation is just a nightmare. So even though I'm really high on the Suns, it's it seems like it'll be a frustrating thing figuring out where their production will be coming from. Yeah, Earl Watson's just a total jackass. Like in the <laughs> in that in that first game against the Trailblazers, they were losing by like 55 points in the fourth quarter, and he's playing Tyson Chandler. Like the Suns have used a bunch of the Suns have been bad for a few years. They've had a bunch of high draft picks. 
the idea that you're going to use Tyson Chandler, who's probably unlikely to even be on this team by the end of the year. They're probably going to offload him sometime around the trade deadline. The idea that they're giving him minutes at that point of the game is just so ridiculous. So it's hard to really look at the Suns rotation and feel comfortable that anybody's going to play, which kind of makes a lot of them more of GPP plays. From the Lakers side of the game, I think Brandon Ingram at 5,200 makes some sense as a GPP play. Uh, Larry Nance did get the start tonight. He's at 4,300. If he ends up playing a decent amount of minutes, I think that we could see him get a decent play again tomorrow. Brooke Lopez at 6,500. I love Brooke Lopez. That's way too cheap for a price for him. And then also Jordan Clarkson at 4,400. Uh, I'll be interested to see where his minutes end up tonight because with less minutes going to Lonzo Ball, that probably means to me more minutes go to Clarkson. So if we see Clarkson end up somewhere around 30 minutes for tonight, I think that he's a really strong play for a cheap price against Phoenix tomorrow. Then from the Phoenix side of the game, I'm going to say I don't think any of these guys are really strong cash game plays. But from a GPP standpoint, uh, uh, Josh Jackson started in the opener. He's only 4,700, so he makes sense. Uh, Eric Bledsoe at 7,400. He makes sense. Devin Booker at 7,000. He makes sense. Bledsoe's the only one of these guys who I really... Or I say Booker and Bledsoe, those are the two guys who I feel comfortable in saying that they have secure minutes. So I think they're cash game playable. But there's nobody else from the Phoenix side of the game that I feel comfortable playing in cash games. But I also think TJ Warren and Josh Jackson make sense as GPP plays. Just I don't feel comfortable enough in their minutes to throw them into a cash game lineup. So would you use Bledsoe and Cash and pair him with Booker? Do you think that that's the way to go? Because it's just it's the same kind of situation as Lillard and McCollum, but these guys are actually cheaper and they also negatively correlate. Yeah, I think I think it makes some sense to play them together in cash games. I'm not going to say that, like definitely you have to do it, but I think it's a usable strategy. Yeah, let's uh, just clarify this point for a second, what negative correlation means, because I think it, it is a little confusing sometimes. So the negative correlation is just that one guy's stats takes away from the other guy's stats. And it's not a bad thing for cash games because it lowers your ceiling. So you don't want to do it in tournaments, but you don't need a high ceiling in cash games. The idea is just to finish better than half the field. There's no purpose playing to be at the top of your double up just because you don't get anything extra from that. And while you're lowering your ceiling, you're also raising your floor, which makes it more likely that you'll be in the top half of the contest. So it is good to have negative correlation for cash games, just in case anyone was confused on that. Like another one that makes sense for competitive games, like a Lowry DeRozan combination, actually really similar. I used to do it a lot with uh, uh, Eric Bledsoe and Brandon Knight when Brandon Knight used to play and do fantasy points. But like Brandon Knight's never been a good real life basketball player. But he's been decent at fantasy basketball, and there was a point where he used to do fantasy points. That was something that he did well. He didn't he didn't play basketball well, but he did fantasy points. Yeah, well. he's kind of like Marquise Chris, but a little better. No, not even just uh, <laughs> just because Marquise Marquise Chris just a victim of uh, of the Earl Watson rotations in the in the opening night. Where I mean, I assumed that he was going to play. Well, actually, I thought he was going to start, and then once he didn't start, it just became clear like oh, he's going to be a shit play and. That did come to fruition. Once he wasn't in the starting lineup, he was no longer a playable option and only ended up playing 13 minutes. And I think even fouled out or at 5,000 those minutes, which is uh, also fairly impressive. Marquise Chris is one of the lower IQ players in the NBA. So uh, I hope we kept this a little shorter. I wasn't really paying attention to the clock, uh, but that is something we're going to make a conscious effort of. You can follow me on Twitter at GArenberg DFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at Preaching Sense. Um, we 
don't have podcasts for the weekends for anybody who's new to the basketball podcast. Uh, but we actually possible. may have hockey over the weekend, by the way. I, I'm pretty confident that we'll have one on Saturday. So I guess people can look forward to that if they're hockey fans. Okay, so maybe Matt will do a hockey podcast. Um, I might do some basketball podcast by myself. I have free time uh, to lure the illusion that I have some really exciting life going on. <laughs> I'll, I'll sit home at Friday and record a podcast by myself Friday night, possibly. No promises, but if there's a good-looking slate for Saturdays, that might be something I do from time to time. So that'll wrap up the podcast, and uh, at the very least, we'll definitely be back on Monday. So come check that out and have a good weekend.